Israel's Past, Present, and Future. Part of our series taken from the book of Romans, we're in chapter 10, next, here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. There's an imminent threat of you losing your job and your boss comes to you and tells you how to save your job. Yet you don't listen and you lose your job anyway. That pretty much sums up what we're looking at here in Romans chapter 10 today in a message called A Message Shared and A Message Spurns. God comes to his nation Israel, shares with them the gospel of Christ and they spurn it, they turn away from it. So what do you do? And what is the message for you and I today? Let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, now for today's program. In verses 16 to 21, he's going to tell them the problem with Israel is that it has been heard, but it has not been believed. And that's the problem. And sometimes we say, well, I already told them. Uh, that's our assignment, whether they believe or not. So let us pick up from verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word, or it would be the message that proclaims Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Quoting Psalms 19 that speaks of natural revelation is universal. Now he's saying the gospel has gone universal. It's going to all men. Again, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, Deuteronomy 32, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. A verse that in their idolatry, he said, you've gone to no gods. I'm going to go to a no nation. I'm going to go even to Gentiles. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Going back to 930, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have found it, for God brought it to them without them ever seeking it. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Uh, the section in verse 14 through 16 has to be the classic passage that has driven the church along with the Great Commission more than any other that says men and women are never saved in a vacuum. They are never saved in ignorance. They are never saved without hearing the gospel. The question often comes up, are the heathen saved? What would the answer be here? 
How can they call on whom, one whom they have never heard? Ignorance of the gospel does not save. And so he traces out that you must know some things. There must be a context for you to come to the place you would call on the Lord. And if you just followed it backwards, it goes this way. God must send a preacher. A preacher must preach. Somebody must hear. Somebody must believe. Somebody must call on the name of the Lord. These are the imperatives. God must send someone. The question is, who can he send? Uh, if we take it strictly as preachers, you're off the hook. You, we've only got about five or six men in this church who claim to preach. So the rest of you are off. Don't have to worry. You just be guilt-free. If you take it to be Acts 1.8, I've called you to be my witnesses, and I'm sending the Holy Spirit that you might be witnesses of these things to the ends of the earth. Every believer would become a part of the messenger team. If it's technical, it's those guys that preach. If it's broader, if it's just to witnesses, whoever will share the message. So what does he say? Men will not be saved in the vacuum. They must hear the message. And men have believed that so strong that in Korea in the 1800s, it was the Presbyterians who took up the call and went to Korea when there was no gospel church. There was no Pastor Cho. There was no full gospel uh, church. There were not all the Presbyterians that are there today. There was no church. But it was just faithful Presbyterians going into Korea, witnessing, 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 witnessing until at last revival broke out and God began to save Koreans into the thousands. Same in China, even in the underground church. South America, no one gets saved in the absence of the gospel. What's hard on pastors is that we've got to preach to the same folks every week who say they know the gospel and try to ignite their mouth to share the gospel. That many people only want better sermons, but they don't necessarily want to share them. They just want more. And so we become like a bad film, overexposed and underdeveloped. I want another good sermon. What did you do with the last one? Did you bury it or did you share it? He says, someone must be sent. And can't you hear Isaiah? Lord, here am I. Send me. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever said to God, no matter what realm it's been in your Christian life, have you ever said, here am I, God. Use me. I'm not looking for the answer to go from brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Here, you've got me. I want to be the one you use to meet the need. I'm not the best. I'm not the brightest. But I'm available. Here am I. Send me. Well, he said he has some men and some women, no doubt, that have gone out and they say, I've shown up in your town. I've shown up in your country. I've shown up in your village because God sent me to preach good news to you. Then I'm going to preach 
And that means I'm going to literally proclaim the good news about Christ. It's not I'm not going to preach morals to you. He's going to say saving faith only comes as the word concerning Christ is preached. It's not just any message. It's the message about Christ. We will preach. Men will hear. And of course, in the Gospels, he has two levels of hearing. Hearing words and perceiving and receiving the truth. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. That's a deeper hearing than just audible words. That it goes into the heart. And so you will hear. And then he says they will believe. And then they will call on the name of the Lord. Um, I am concerned about this word believe. Uh, because of being around church and professors for most of my life, uh, you'll hear people sometime, they'll say, uh, uh, you'll talk to someone about the Lord, and they say, well, I've always believed. I've always been a Christian. Have you ever heard that? I've always been a Christian. No one has always been a Christian. No one. Not Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, or the Apostle Paul. No one has always been a Christian. Let me give you three parts to what faith means. The reformers wrestled with this, and one man by the name of Turretin had seven aspects, but the core of what the reformers came up with, saving faith, think of it as a piece of pie, a whole pie. And let's put it in thirds. And they said, saving faith has at least three different elements in it. The first they use the Latin word noesia, knowledge, cerebral, cognitive. There must be facts. Saving faith involves believing the right thing. You may believe it weakly or strongly. That doesn't matter. You see, you may hold on to the purse with a weak hand. I may hold on to it with a strong hand, but it is that you've got the right object. But if you hold the wrong thing, you believe in vain. You must have the right. So you hear, Jesus died, was buried, rose again. Do you believe that? Oh, yes, I do. I believe that. How many of you even believed that before you were saved? Before you were saved. Never been a time I didn't believe those facts. Because I grew up in a Christian home. I've always believed that Christ was the Son of God, that he was born, that he was crucified, that he's buried, that he rose again, and let's go and have a fight or steal something. So I'm saved. But I believe the right fact. And then the second part was intellectual assent, that you've heard the facts, they've been presented, and something in you says, uh, I believe that resonates with me. I believe that's true. Because sometimes you could hear a set of facts given to you as facts, and you say, I don't buy it. No, no, I don't buy that at all. I don't get it. And, and you intellectually reject it, and, and that goes on all the time. Someone's telling you a lie, maybe, or they may be telling you the truth, but you haven't given assent. I, I heard you, but I'm not sure I agree with you. That's the idea. Assent is a deep word that says, hey, there's some, this resonates. I, I, I believe it's not only factual, but I agree that it really is true. 
Now, if you had those two parts in you, would you be a Christian? No, you'd be a candidate to be a demon. Because Satan has both the knowledge and assent that Jesus is God. Demons in the gospel, what did they say? Thou art the Christ. Please don't command us to go out of this man. Demons said that. There are no atheist demons. Human beings are the ones that's stupid. Even in the fallen world of Satan, they know he exists. They know Jesus Christ exists. And so I see many people, I believe. You believe what? I believe Christ was buried, rose, and all that. I believe all the right stuff. I even agree with it. I, I think it's right. I think we got the right church, the right. says, well, so I must be a Christian. Oh, no, no, no. You might be a demon. Because you can know all the right stuff and not know Christ. Knowledge alone does not save. And it's the danger of kids that grow up in church. They learn all the right answers without being saved. And they could, they could pass our doctrinal exam. They could take church membership class, pass it in their sleep. And we say, they must be saved. Why? They know all the right stuff. You Roman Catholics that grew up in catechism, you learned. It was drilled in you. If you didn't get it, the nun was going to hit you with a ruler. You were going to learn it. So the fact only fills our church with nominal Christians who still don't know God. Because the third part, the third part was the Latin word fiducia. And that word had the idea of I embrace the person of these facts. I value, let me read some things. Jonathan Edwards said, the mind choosing Christ. It's a positive disposition towards the thing I'm told to believe in. It's wanting Christ. It's having the uh, dispos- I want to go toward him. I have a thirst for the object of these facts. I want to know Christ. Paul said, I would give up everything I've known up to this time that I might gain Christ. Now, I am amazed at the stupid things Satan put in my mind as a teenager why I would not go to Christ to be saved. I knew the facts. I assented to them, but I had about five favorite sins I thought I'd have to give up if I was to go to Christ. So my sins were more appealing to me than Christ because Christ was not lovely to me. I did not value him. I did not see him as excellent. I did not see him as precious until the Spirit of God worked in me and worked in me as he did in you, if you're truly saved. And one day, you started valuing him. You started saying, this is God's son. He is precious. He is inviting me to eternal life. He's, he is excellent. He is supreme. I want to go to him. And then I do something. I call on the name of the Lord. Just believing is not just facts. The believing moves to, I need a Savior. I call on him who is Lord. That's the act of faith. Not just knowledge. When did you call on him? That's why I'm suspicious of people. Who say, well, I don't know when I was saved. Now, you don't have to know the day on the calendar. You don't need to know the time. But you don't get saved in your sleep. 
You don't get slaves uh, passively. Well, it just hit me one day. It doesn't just hit you. There comes a time you know when you call on the Lord. You knew the facts maybe all your life. But finally, conviction took hold and said, I want you, Christ. I've been in Sunday school. I've raised my hand, but it's not taken hold. I know the facts. I've passed the test. Matter of fact, you can get a doctorate in theology and still go to hell. There's many a man going to hell with a doctorate in theology. Mere facts, mere data. One day, my wife said to me, and she's, she's apologetic. She said this way, and it was this apologetic mode. We were just talking about wondering if any of you people were saved. And so as we were talking about it, she said like this, apologetically. She, she said, I just think you've you got to experience God. It just seems to me like it's an experience. I said, well, it absolutely is. What else could it be? She said, well, I mean, when you know that you trusted him, when you know he's become yours, when you know your heart's desire has clung to Christ, not just facts, hearing about it, hearing another sermon, uh, rejecting another invitation. You, you, you kind of experience it, don't you, husband? Yes! To quote that great theologian Rollins, it's epigenosco. It's experiential. You come to have an experiential knowledge. We know that we know. And what are the signs that we know? We started loving the brethren, 1 John 4, 7. We started breaking away from sin, 1 John 3, 6 through 9. We started walking in righteousness, 1 John 2, 29. We claim him as deity, 1 John 5, 1. We find his commandments not being burdensome, 1 John 5, 3. We find ourselves being kept in his hand, 1 John 5, 18. Friend, let me tell you, there's evidence in my life that I've gone to Christ and no other. He becomes the, com the compulsion and the great pearl of great price. This is not passive. Believe. Have you ever called on the name of the Lord? I've got grandchildren that were evangelizing all the time. And you know what? Every one of them that I know uh, of any age knows the facts. But I just keep looking. I, I, I'm the worst critic of all of them. I just, I know that you know him. I was with two of my grandsons well, this last week. You know, I'm just looking for evidence. When does it fill your mouth? JP, I know you love basketball, but do you love Jesus more? Well, you don't talk about him until you're 18. Oh, baloney. You talk about him when you start knowing him. Salvation isn't age-oriented. You don't get over it. If you're here today and you're nominal, and you just have the right answers, but you're going the wrong direction, you need Christ. And when you value Christ, you'll come to him no matter what it costs you. You know, uh, over the holidays, I, I thought I would get in on some Christmas shopping. And so one of my daughters was here, and we went over to San Francisco. And since I was thinking of some of you I wanted to buy a gift for, I said, let's go to Neiman Marcus. And I knew they were having a big sale. And I, I knew, you know, buy pastor a gift or someone like that. And I got over there and, uh, you know, let's, hey, how much would you give me for this pair of shoes? Anybody give me 20 bucks? Okay, right there, I got 20. Can I hear 50? Can I get 100? Alligator imported from Miami. 
Illegal. No, I mean, uh, okay. Obviously, one day I thought these shoes were worth enough in value that I exchanged money to make them mine, right? Perceived value. I'm over at Neiman Marcus, and they had all these uh, dress shirts on sale. And I thought, good. I want to, because I always think Nordstrom is too much. On sale, you can get one white shirt at Neiman Marcus in San Francisco on sale now. You got to catch the sale for $500. (laughs) That's one white shirt. And I I found a sport coat that would make me look like, uh, you talk about a a prosperity gospel preacher. If I just had that, (laughs) if I just had that sport coat. And it was on sale for 5500 I think it was pure silk. It looked to me like pure, you're going to keep it. I didn't walk out with anything from Neiman and Marcus. You know why? Nothing in there was as valuable as what I had in my wallet. See, it was just a matter of bartering. I just said, mm, you want it. And I, this is pure cotton. You've been wearing fake cotton. For 500 bucks, you can get pure cotton. I said, honey, I'm going to wear whatever Costco's selling, and I want to keep that money in my pocket. Right there. I knew you'd agree with me on money. I could tell. I could just tell. See, it was bartering. I could have the shirt if I value it. And guess what? Saving faith is this way. What would you give to have Jesus? What's he worth to you? You say, well, well I, I like my sin. And I'm not like I thought, well, will I have to break up this girl? Will I have to quit running with those guys? And, and that, all that bartering. And he says, Satan blinds you. If you read 2 Corinthians, he blinds you to the glory. To the glory that's revealed in the face of Jesus by the gospel. What the devil is blinding the unsaved crowd to, they can't see the glory that's in Jesus. The majesty, the excellence, the wonder, the greatness. And all of a sudden you say, how can you be stumbling over him? said, I'm blind. Somebody get these blindfolders off. And that's what God did for us. He rent the veil. And when we saw it, there was a majestic Christ, a glorious Christ, a Christ that was radiant, and power, and salvation. So we say, well, I got the greatest thing. How could I have ever said no to him? You just couldn't see him. That's when you got saved. Not when you knew all these facts. Quit quoting us the facts. Tell me what he means to you. How much do you value him? Kind of get some Jesus talk in your life. You know, chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans are some of the most challenging, yet most fulfilling passages in all of Scripture. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, and you're listening to our series called Israel's Past, Present, and Future, taken from a larger set out of the entire book of Romans. As we close out our time together here today on Truth For Today, we would remind you that copies of the series are available for $15 or more. It's an eight-CD set that we're making available to you when you ask for it by name, Israel's Past, Present, and future. Now, if you would like the entire 47-sermon CD set out of Romans, the entire book of Romans, that's available for a gift of $100 or more when you contact us at 855-833-9864. 
Your donations are all tax deductible, and they go to further the ministry here on KFAX. Please remember that. These are donations that we use directly in conjunction with the radio broadcast to make sure that it continues here on KFAX. So bear that in mind as you contact us for these resource materials, or if you're feeling led just to be a sponsor and a supporter of the radio broadcast, we'd love to hear from you as well. TFT sustainers are those who receive our quarterly newsletter, a once a year special gift, and you also have access to Take a Break. It's Pastor Phil's weekly video devotional, and it's all available for those of you who come to us saying, yes, I'd like to be a part of the ministry. I'd like to be a TFT sustainer. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. We'd love to hear from you today. Would you call us? Again, the phone number is 855-833-9864, or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, 94547 is our zip code. You can also find out more information about us as well as the greater ministry at Valley Bible Church by visiting our website, valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. You're always welcome to join us for worship as well here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We have two service times, 9 and 11. For the directions and more information, again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org or give us a call, 855-833-9864. And would you let one of the ushers know that you're paying us a visit through the radio program? That would mean an awful lot to us. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.